0: of This Is Lead CD. My name is Gerry Scullion. I'm a service designer, I'm a design educator, and I'm a design coach based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Today in the show, I spoke with two of the world-leading experts in design for young minds and children. They are Professor Sonia Livingstone from the London School of Economics and Dr. Kuruke Patton as well. And we caught up really around the work that they did around this wonderful set of of cards that they created for the Digital Futures Commission in the UK. And they sent me this. It is really cool, actually. It's a set of cards that can be used throughout the design process to help you question and help you design more fitting experiences for children. Now, for anyone who's been following me on the internet for the last couple of months, you will have seen that I am deep in the world of creating Makers and Doers School, introducing children to design thinking from the age of six up, and we've been really busy building out the the curriculum for that. So a lot of the work that, and a lot of the questions, should I say, in this episode speaks to that work that we're doing at the moment. But it's not just great listening for parents who probably want to understand a little bit more about how technology is being woven into their day-to-day lives and what risks are associated with that weaving of technology into children. And what age should you introduce technology to children? And what are the conditions and criteria that we as parents and guardians need to consider when introducing such technology devices? But also for just generally as us change makers, understanding where are the parameters, who defines those parameters, and what exactly we can learn as change makers and how we should adopt and adapt our change-making process when designing new services for people. It is a fantastic episode. It really is a peek behind the curtain and speaking with two of the world's leading experts in this area. These cards are available. I, I know they're for free, actually, so you can request a set to be sent out to you. I'll put a link to that in the show notes or the description if you're watching this on YouTube. But really, let me talk a little bit more around these cards because they are super cool and I think they would be a great addition to any design studio in the world. The Playful by Design Toolkit can be used at any stage of the design process. It includes three components. Principal cards, prompt cards and playboards. And these resources can be accessed in four ways by the digitalfuturescommission.org.uk They'll send you a full set of cards or you can download the cards and print them yourself so if you want to get access to them earlier and have a look at them or you can download the image files and use them on your computer or even better. I'm a big lover of Miro. They're a big sponsor of this podcast. You can clone the playful by design Miro board and use this online. So the prompt cards present questions to guide your design thinking. These are matched by the principal cards. Check the icon on the cards are four different types of cards. The why, the what if, the how and the wild cards. Okay, so it's a, really, it's a really handy toolkit to have, especially if you are designing in that space and you want to have an additional framework to really stress test your thinking with some rigour provided to you by Sonia Angurike and everyone else at the Digital Futures Commission in the UK. Thank you so much for sending me these cards, Sonia. I am going to be weaving them into the work that we do here at the Makers and Doers School and also this is HCD. This is a great episode. Let's jump straight in. I'm delighted to have you here on the podcast. Um, welcome to This Is 8 CD. We've got Sonia Livingstone here and Kuruka from the London School of Economics, but also um, heavily involved with Playful by Design. Isn't that correct? Playful by mm-hmm. Design, Playful mm-hmm. for Design. But we're really excited to have you here. We're going to be talking a lot about childhood development and introducing design to the lives of children. Um, and we connected over several emails over a wonderful card kit that you've created um for free i should add We're putting a link to that one in the show notes folks for anyone who's interested in this realm of design it's really important but let's start off let's get to know each other a little bit more um we'll go kuruka first tell us a little bit about yourself where you're from and what you do
1: um so I'm originally from Thailand and yeah. um, we have been known for a lot of creative stuff. There are lots of um, design studios in Thailand, but that wasn't my path before. I was in journalism and then uh-huh. I moved to do my PhD in communication studies. Um, the focus has been on the intersection between uh, policies, technologies and society. And that has been my continuous research since. And then I had the pleasure of starting to work with some design colleagues. And that's when I started getting my head into um, value-sensitive design. And then I met Sonia. And then the value bit becomes what is good for children.
0: Yeah. And we're going to tackle that big question in a second, but we'll, we'll pop over to Sonia first. And I will ask Sonia, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from and what you do.
2: Thank you. Well, I had a really different journey um, to this point from uh, Kuroka. So I've been working as a social psychologist, looking at how children and young people engage with um, uh, all things digital for a long time. And the digital Mm. world keeps changing. And I've increasingly become interested in um, not just trying to fix the problems, but also trying to work out what we want. what, What does good look like? And I began working with the Five Rights Foundation, which is a small charity determined to try to make the digital world a better place for kids. So design, thinking, and design is a bit new to me. That's that's where I'm kind of making the link and where I've really enjoyed the um the work that Kruka and I have done together because um it's not just about what policymakers do and it's not just about what parents do or teachers, it's also about how that digital world is designed and how Children are learning about that and thinking about that, and they have ideas about how it can be better.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Five Rights Foundation seems to be Mm. part of both of your lives. Mm. Um, Tell us about the origins of Five Rights. Is there Five Rights? Is that how did the name come about? First of all, that's probably a question that we could tackle. Uh,
2: It it began with yeah. It began by. uh, it's founder um, Baroness Beben Kidron, who is an advocate for child rights and mm. um, also comes from a um, comes from a film background. Okay, uh, and it's quite a small charity that is really punching above its weight in seeking to intervene, especially in terms of regulation and policy and design. Uh, okay. And the there there are five rights originally, and they're the right to. Um, uh, Uh, be able to um, know what is happening to your data online, to be able to um, take down what is harmful and to be able to kind of, um, you know, their rights that are focused on making um, children's digital experience um, productive and Mm -hmm. safe for them. But actually, over recent years, we've been working more with the um, UN Convention on the Rights of the Child, and that's given us all a bigger umbrella because it's been, you know the, how the digital world is designed is absolutely crucial to realizing the rights. But the goals become children's right to be an agent in the world, children's right to express themselves, to participate, to be protected, to have their privacy. You know, it's kind of so we've 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 developed a, a larger rights agenda, but still right. with that focus on you know making digital better. So.
1: And can my, I add a little on my little past experience working on an, another research project with Five Rights? I see the connection and the continuum from the control by design that um, uh, Beban's been trying to um, sort of make happen, create opportunity for, for children. So that, to me, I I take it as to connect with children's agency when when we expand the agenda to cover And engage with rights.
0: So let's boil this down and distill it down to, you know, the world of parents and the world of children at the moment. What does the landscape look like for a child and what are the problems that exist that you can see through your own lenses as practitioners uh, within the, the digital kind of access, and the proliferation of software like YouTube and applications like within the ipad world like what is there is there a, a problem an epidemic in front of us or what What are we seeing so
2: where do we begin there are so there are so I many there are so many questions so so maybe i'll i'll begin and i i know kirk will add but i'll begin by saying um children have always played children have always expressed yeah. themselves children have always been creative uh and today they do it on Incredibly technologically complex commercial platforms. And it's a transformation from playing in the street or playing in the kitchen or playing in the playground at school to doing it on a commercial platform, which is very often a global company that doesn't necessarily expect to have children there, doesn't necessarily know anything about the children who are there or what their needs might be. And from parents' point of view, it's like which of these games are beneficial? Um mm. what is what is being taken from my child in the trade between
0: What's being tracked, yeah.
2: Yeah, what's being tracked, what data is passing, um, what are the risks? Who are the people that my kid is playing with in multiplayer mm. games? Because that can be incredibly dangerous. So it's children have this desire to play and express themselves and be themselves and grow, yeah. but they're doing it in this really new kind of place that so, you have to understand
0: i noticed on sunday um i was out for a drive with my mom and i've got two kids six and a half and four and a half mm. and mm. my my mom is in her 80s and mm. she's like we haven't seen one child playing in the road since we've mm-hmm. been out driving for the last 20 minutes like so yeah they're either at their back garden i said oh they're doing something else i said like mm. they just don't play like we used to play like when I was a child, when I was a child. Mm. So is play, what are the differences and the nuances, uh, between those two paradigms of playing in the street versus playing in the digital realm?
1: Mm. I would start with the amount of information that, mm-hmm. um, by engaging in playing online, yeah, the platforms made more visible. Yeah, And whereas in the past, if you were um, playing in the street, um, Mm. people from the opposite part of the world, if I was playing in the street in Bangkok, you wouldn't know being in London, what I like, how do I play? But when kids move online to play because of this complexity of technology, the way they, by, by just interact, interacting with the platforms that they use for play. Whether that platform is designed for them or not, mm. what they like, what they don't like, what they're interested in, how they interact, their pathways through play are mm-hmm. made visible without them having any control of what to what extent could be shared, should be shared. And then you have that um, expanded dimension of if we were to play, if I was playing um on the street in Bangkok, um, yes, my parents would be worried about the creepy crawlies people lurking around. But mm. I'd have the neighbors who could also see and observe and maybe keep an watch uh, a watchful eye on me. Yeah. But what happens so- on Facebook or other platforms behind closed doors, which is kind of ironic in yeah. a way. Yeah. And-
0: yeah, go ahead, Sonia.
1: I, and I, th- I think um,
2: you know what is what is the essence of being a child, and why do we want to start our work with play? It, and it was the idea that play is where children uh, express their agency. It's kind of who they are yeah. and how they see the world and, and how they fly. can imagine the world in their own in their own way. And they love the digital environment because it offers them so many tools, and it's. Feels like it's theirs. It's kind of cool. It's new. It's edgy. It's huge. It's powerful. Um, But it is very hard for them to be agents in that space because, like Craig said, they don't know who's around. They don't really have any control over, you know, arranging the furniture or, you know, kind of putting their toys where they want them to be so that the space becomes meaningful. And there's all these other people they can't. So. You know, we it 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 offers incredible opportunities, but it's 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 just escapes their control. And children actually are used to growing up in very kind of local environments. They can chalk mm. the pavement, or they can you know arra- rearrange the toys in their in in their room or whatever, and, and feel they've defined the space for themselves.
0: So. We also had a couple of parents over recently. I'm just going to keep on re- reflecting yeah. on my own perspective yeah. of being a parent of young children. And they were like, we've got no games in our house. We don't mm-hmm. have any games because I was talking to them about this whole kind of strive to play, to learn. And then this mm-hmm. shift, psychological shift of playing to win um, mm-hmm. in the in the development of a child. And I had Juan Prego, who is uh, uh, a world-class trainer in in design he's based in Argentina and trains out of China as well and he's done an awful lot of work in childhood development and he he made that distinction between the learning differences of playing to learn and Mm -hmm. then learning playing to win and being able to capture Mm -hmm. them at a relatively young age to retain that playing to learn for as long as possible what do you say to parents who believe like okay we just want to keep them off technology we technology is bad um that whole kind of playing to win mindset we want to avoid it as much as possible what would you say to those parents
2: so first we would working within a child rights framework we wouldn't especially advocate play to win or play to learn but we would okay. advocate play for its own hey. sake okay. children will define the purpose not adults you know i want my kid to play to learn their maths better or learn something productive for their future better Mm -hmm. it's like playing the here and now out of their heads in their imaginative space they will learn through doing it that's the magic of play but they won't necessarily learn what adults want them to play okay so technology i mean the thing is um i think adults i understand why adults parents get fearful and there is a lot to fear about technology and it's a very high pressure commercial space that wants everyone on the big products But we have in our research been discovering all the diversity of technological products and some are beautifully designed, you know, small companies making a game that really fosters children's imagination and creativity. Um, Sometimes there are even big games that do that. But, you know, that's why design thinking is so important because what we found parents wanted and didn't have was almost a kind of language of design so that they could, discern. This is a great space. I can have a conversation with my kid about why they're enjoying it. And this is a pressure space or a data exploitative space or full of commercial sales pitches or whatever. And they need that language to discern and to discuss it with their kids. And then, you know, there's a lot of opportunities. So it's not yes or no to tech, it's steering through what is a pretty demanding kind of landscape.
0: Is it a balance?
2: It's always a balance. Parenting is always a balance. And um, um, I always say, um, as someone who does yoga, balancing is hard. Balancing is not just getting the scales in balance. It's standing on one leg with, you know, juggling and um, you wobble and you you have to sway in the wrong direction and learn and readjust. And, you know, it's it's tough for parents. Um, And no one is really... All those games and play opportunities out there in the digital world, they're not explained to parents. They're not. No.
0: A game is a game.
2: Yeah. Or they are explained with a heavy commercial pitch that is, this is going to turn your child, you know, this is um, Mozart to make your child Einstein in the future or whatever it is. You know, this is, um, which is, 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 and how are parents to judge, how are parents to know what's valuable?
0: Kuraka, can I ask a question yeah. to you just around that balance piece? Because I, I I know you were you were interested to jump in there. If it is a balance piece, and I believe it is a balance piece, mm-hmm. what are the pieces that need to be put on that kind of scale? Um, what constitutes the elements of play? Like what, what are the the facets and the categories of the types of play that parents need to introduce to ensure a solid childhood development?
1: Um I would say. Evolving capacity and agency. And okay, about what agency, programs.
0: what you define, cause I know some people will be like agency. Let's break that down a little bit further. Yeah.
1: Go- going back to, so in, in, in the way of play, I'll, I'll use this example from, um, one of the participants in our initial consultation. Mm-hmm. So a parent described, um, enjoying, um, watching the kids leaving them in the room and it was an empty room. And then the next thing they came back, the kid was jumping up and down, playing, pretending to be the Kings and Queens or hunting squ- giant squid or something along that line, or a parent describing their children, um, taking over the zoo and playing, started developing their own game, playing hide and on zoo. Yeah, that kind of agency.
0: Okay. That's a great definition. So, so going back to that scale metaphor, um, what are the weights that we would need to apply to ensure that that scale has been balanced?
2: No,
1: I think the weight of it is, well, I would assume that parents know their children and, Mm. um, what, and, and what, not just what they need, but what make them vulnerable. Okay. and um uh, but then that vulnerability and the protection for uh protection against exploitation of that vulnerability needs to be balanced mm-hmm. against um the growing you know uh, the growing and development of the child. You can't wrap your child up in a cotton wool. My mum wished she could <laughs> like um but uh, Because otherwise kids don't learn to develop resilience. They don't learn problem-solving skills, Yeah, that kind of balance.
0: So the problem-solving skills, like most parents will be like nodding their heads if they're listening to this kind of saying, yeah, we we understand why that could be important because the world that we all find ourselves in now post pandemic, you know, we have to become problem solvers and it's not going to go away. That skill needs to be nurtured. Uh, at a very early age, what are the things that you can see from your research that parents are doing and are doing well to encourage that type of skill to be fostered?
1: Um, I've seen an example of a couple of parents that uh, that joined our consultation said mm-hmm. they would play the game either with or before. And also if they do play the games before they join, they, they introduce that game to the child, then they also continuing, not, not watching as in, you know, keeping control, but observing and helping them when they got stuck. Okay. One
2: of the things that we um, learned um, from, I, I learned from reading the research on play was the idea of loose parts and Mm. i think this is a really great concept so imagine the um you're you're at home with your kids you might just leave um instead of putting the rubbish away you might leave um a few squeezy bottles and cardboard boxes in a corner of the room and you might just not say and your child might find them and then the next thing you know you've got a spaceship and i think that's the kind of thing that parents get so they just kind of set the scene but they don't direct and they don't give the goal and the child will make it happen And one of the questions I keep asking myself is like, what are the cardboard boxes on the internet where Where can the kid go and find those that those loose parts those kind of possibilities yeah. that will really and then and then can they can they follow through for themselves
0: Yeah, what are those cardboard boxes on the internet? what have you found
2: well one of the things we asked this question of of parents and 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 children in our in our consultation, so one of the things they talked about a lot at this point was a game like um uh, Minecraft. Yeah. Okay. Which seemed to kind of and and you could compare it with a game like um um uh, well and, and in some ways they talked about Roblox as well. And you could compare it with a game like Fortnite where the kind of goals are more set and the pieces are more yeah. um arranged. But Minecraft um there were all kinds of possibilities and they could, they, you know, they could make a box and call it whatever they wanted to. And other people yeah. might come and join in and they might not. Um, but in the child's head, they've kind of expressed themselves and, and their agency. So,
0: those kind of, both of those games have been mm-hmm. you know, reported to have a high addiction rates that can mm-hmm. lead to anxieties. Mm-hmm. Um, young children don't have that capacity to be able to say no mm-hmm. and to say, mm-hmm. okay, I've had enough to be able to self-regulate mm, mm. how how and what would you say to parents who are struggling with that they say okay mm. cool well, we'll introduce minecraft mm. we realize that there's got mm. some play capabilities there mm. Mm. But my child is struggling to switch off from it because mm. they're more susceptible to being addicted
2: mm. yeah i think i think it's a it's a it's a great question um so in designing playful by design you know what do we want we said okay we want the game to be open-ended so that's the kind of cardboard box the possibilities are there and it could go in many directions um we also said um you know kind of really um promote the child's agency not just to play as they want but also to leave when they want don't create that kind Mm. of compulsive feel that you've got to keep on playing keep on playing so partly we wanted the designers to think about making it easy for a child just to leave or put it down for a bit to be interrupted. Um, and then to go back to it because okay. that's what we do, you know, in, in, in the kind of offline world, but, yeah. um, from the parents point of view. So I would say, look out for those features. Is it, is it, is it a game that your child can walk away from easily and come back to and, and, and carry on if they want to, or mm. another day. Um, but also make sure that you understand, um, is your child still feeling excited in the space, imaginative mm-hmm. in the space, able to express themselves in the space, or are they beginning to feel, I've got to stay because everyone's there and I've got to finish and mm-hmm. I can't leave else I'll look like an idiot, and and those are the things to look for, and then at that point you know provide a better alternative, or you know um, refer back to a conversation you've had with your child before mm-hmm. about what is good for them, what do they enjoy and what help they might need in pulling away. Yeah. Because I think kids are beginning to see for themselves that sometimes it's, it's too much and they need to pull away but they need a bit of help or encouragement or something great to do or just dinner
1: time.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Kourika, do you have anything to add to that?
1: Yeah, and I just wanted to add the from a design perspective, it's not, it's not, impossible, though this this balance between interaction and um having a cutoff point or supporting children's agency to 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 feel that they can walk away when they've had enough. It's it's a constant struggle in among designers. Yeah. This this is our learning from from our process to develop this card, playful by design card as a design tool yeah. for for designers. But it can yeah. be done. And um, an example for that is um, by making, creating an endpoint, a natural endpoint as part of the progression of the game. But then, you know, and then so kids don't feel like, oh, there's a new challenge, excitement all the time and keep going, but there is an excitement. It's up and then down and and coming to a natural cutoff point. Observe sure. the day maybe or dinner time or something along that line that would help mm-hmm. encourage um, kids to sort of wean off. That would also work. Okay. One of the hardest things that we
2: found in our conversations with parents and with designers is about risk-taking. So all mm-hmm. the theories of child development are that children need to take some risk. They need to climb a tree and fall, up, fall down not too high but climb a tree and fall a little way or scrape their knee or and learn, pick themselves up and know their limits. And then next time, you know, try to run faster or climb higher or or whatever. And that is how children learn. It's how they gain confidence. It's how they, you know, um, develop their capacities. But if you say to anyone online, let your child take a few risks, that's terrifying. That's terrifying for parents. And it's pretty terrifying for designers and, and product developers as well, because they don't want, Um, harm happening on their sites and they don't want the reputational damage and they don't want the responsibility. So online tends to be either made incredibly safe or designers will say, okay, we know kids are playing Fortnite or whatever it is, Mm. but we're not, we don't want them to be there. um, Maybe they're even going to begin to age gate them out of those spaces um, because we don't want to take the responsibility. And it's a bit like the digital world is, um, you know, it's either like having a five a six-lane motorway in front of your house, you know, so mm. you don't want your kid to go out and play in the street, yeah. um, or um, an incredibly safe garden and they can't ever get out of the yeah. high wall. And we don't, We that's the design challenge, I think.
0: One of the things as parents, you're able to self-identify when a child is ready to move to the next stage of saying, mm. okay, listen, they're on the swing. I think they're going to be okay in the trampoline.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: How do you know when a child is ready for technology to be
2: introduced. Mm. It's, it's, it's such a hard question because, um, parents remember what it was like on the swing or on the trampoline Mm. from their own childhood. And now they're in a world that they don't have those kind of visceral memories and those, that, that own their personal experience to fall back on. And games don't come, you know, this is something that, that probably should be regulated and better designed for. They don't come with good age ratings. They don't yeah. come with good, you know. If you go to the app store, it's says everything is four plus, and it's not a four plus. It's it's graded. It's complex, and, yeah. and and even within a game, there isn't always that kind of progression from, um, you know, you've begun here, and now here's the thing to do next. Because every game is trying to monetize attention, so it mm. says stay here with us forever. Yeah.
0: Um,
2: so it is. I think it is. It it's something that is, um, you know, parents have a gut feel. The only way they can know really is to play the game with their children. and and see, are they bored? Are they kind of pushing it around? Or are they out of their depth? And they should have, you know, they need something a bit easier than this or simple Mm -hmm. or straightforward.
1: But then that is perhaps what makes it quite difficult and um, unequal for a lot of children because not every parent has that time and energy to be playing Mm -hmm. the games with their children. Not every parent has that appetite for um, playing the games or the games with their children. So Mm -hmm. um, there is also that responsibilities from the the makers of these products and services as well so that not everything falls down to the parents that they have to take that responsibility to Mm -hmm. spend the time to learn, to progress in order to be able to recommend the good things for their kids.
0: Sure. One of the things in Playful by Design, when I stumbled across it, I remember I was in bed when I saw it truthfully. And I was like, <laughs> it was like one of those things where, you know, I had no one to share it to. I was like, oh, God, this this is amazing. It was midnight at night. And I was like, and, I, and I, I saved it for the next day and I looked at it. And when I looked at it, there didn't seem to be these age gaps or the age kind of like this is for a four to six year old. Um, and I found that really interesting cause an awful lot of the stuff that you find online, is a suitable for four to six and then six to eight and so forth. What was the thinking behind that? And I know this is a loaded question, but playing Dev as advocate here, what is the thinking around that and not having those age categories or suggested ages on some of the modules within playful by design? Mm. So in a
2: child rights framework, um, rather than saying, uh, your child is ready for this or at 12, your child is ready for that. You think about evolving capacity. It's a bit of a, um, clunky term to be honest, but it's, um, children develop at different rates and they develop unevenly and they develop best when they're always a bit at the edge of what they can do, but they're not like super challenged. Um, so we emphasize the idea of being age appropriate. Um and then leave that as a judgment for the parent, for the child, and for yeah. the um service provider, because what is age what, what suits an age is it's just going to be so variable. Some children are more vulnerable, some children have got a lot of support, some children are a bit ahead of the uh, of their class. um We didn't want to put them in boxes, but we did want to prioritize it as a consideration for everyone to keep in mind hmm.
1: And this concept of age appropriate. Uh, age-appropriateness from the um, perspective of design and the different design features. Some features be appropriate for younger uh, children and or the different age bands and so on and so on. It's pretty complex and designers Mm. struggle with that all the time. Mm. And designers have to think about anyone who would be on the service. They can't
2: really say, okay, well, this child is super competent and understands all these things. so, So there's a mismatch basically, between those who are providing the products who try to go for a really broad age range and parents who know my child has just mastered this and needs, you know, something that kind of gives them a chance to flower in this particular or or develop in a particular Mm. way. So it's a mismatch and um, that makes it hard. And that's, you know, I'll go back to agency at that point because I think children have that kind of visceral sense of, you know, can I climb that tree? Um, children generally know they have that but online it's very hard to very make different. that judgment is this a safe place to play or can it's, I manage that game
0: one of the things that I noticed like uh, whenever we go away on holidays with the kids we tend to give them access to YouTube kids okay? and, um, mm-hmm. it's, it's the child-friendly version of YouTube mm-hmm. and it seems like such a small little introduction to the interface but they have tiles below the video That I noticed that whenever we introduce it straight away, they're watching a video and then they're getting about 30 seconds in and they're clicking the next thumbnail and they're being caught in this loop, this, Mm. this kind of design loop that we, Mm. anyone who's involved with design will know. Mm. And it's all about getting the impressions for the advertisers and seeing what works and so forth. What are the risks that you see with introducing technology to children too early? And um, because that ability to know that you're in that loop mm-hmm. seems to be, you know, seven, eight years old when they're mm-hmm. going to go, OK, look, I want to watch the video and I want to watch it to the end. Mm-hmm. What are those risks for introducing it too early?
2: So I think at this point we are a bit um, beyond what the research is. I don't. I couldn't say categorically yeah. research says this is the risk. But I could say that there's um, enough research and enough um, experience to say what is vital is for children to gradually develop their own judgment and they can only judge an environment that they kind of understand. So they don't understand, they can see the screen, they understand the screen pretty early, but they can't understand behind the screen. Advertising companies, data brokers, commercial um, imperatives, profit, you know, that's no way. Can they yeah. understand that? So I think um, ideally, you know, you'd have the screen designed um, in a way that it operates in, in in terms that children can understand. And some producers, of course, will do that. But even YouTube Kids, like you say, it's number one imperative is to get yeah. kids to graduate to YouTube and to yeah. get the data. And it is owned by you know one of the biggest um, corporates going. So it's they're making an effort. And they've curated some of the content and they've taken out some of the problematic Mm. content and they've taken off the comments, which are often dodgy and part of the content, but they still have it. They're still a business.
0: Yeah. Um, And
2: ultimately you might say, you know, look for a non-commercial. If if you don't want your child to be locked into commercial pressures, you need a non-commercial product. For example? Well, I could say public service broadcasting. makes a lot of um i think there's a fair number of uh, um civil society museums make games um uh, children's there's various children's organizations make games sometimes um local councils or child-friendly cities will make a child-friendly interface or services Uh, educators sometimes make games that they want you know to learn something Really Creatives try things out. I think there is, but like I said, at the beginning, it's hard to find it because we're all directed towards the big corporates. Yeah,
0: the ones that are on the tip of our tongue tend to be the ones that are the yeah. ones that are there to make money. Yeah, that's one of the things that I've learned. Now let's talk about playful um, mm. by design because mm. it is amazing, and mm. I'm not just saying that because I know Sonya. I think you were leading, this is your initiative and mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. you're, you're involved mm-hmm. as one of Absolutely the... Absolutely, she is, different. yes. So where did this come from? Um, I know, Sonia, your background is, is mm. in this space, but wh- where did it originate from and what was the, the premise and what was the objective behind the policy?
2: So we began by recognising uh, that... By design, solutions Mm -hmm. are becoming very popular among policymakers and the kind of whole multi-stakeholder world of of thinking about um, online experiences. So there's a lot of work gone into safety by design, how to make a product safe before it ever reaches the market, privacy by design, um, security by design that Kroko worked on um, before. But those are like the hygiene factors. Sure, you want the... That you want the space to be safe and private and secure, but what—that's not good. That's just that could be boring. Yeah. So we thought playful by design. We put that concept into an already sort of expanding policy area, and so mm-hmm. we also have to design for what good could look like and what would be, yeah, um, really pre- pre- support children's. So so in our playful by design toolkit, which I think Rebecca could might might say something about, um. It's designed to have lots of prompts for designers to help them think, how in my design can I be welcoming to a child on a, on a website or in a game? How can I, what are the, what are the levers I can pull to enhance their imagination? Um, what are the ways in which I can enable open-ended play instead of constantly pushing them in the same direction? Mm-hmm. Um, so it was about thinking of the design levers that could go into Promoting those bigger goals um, that are about the positive, as well as dealing with the problems.
0: So what you're talking about there, like security by design, Mm. I mean, you might have mentioned safety by design and even functionality by design as well. Mm. Mm. They're all facets of what we would call a good service playful Mm -hmm. by design a good service and Lou down Mm -hmm. who is a great friend of mine and a great friend of the podcast wrote good services Mm -hmm. Who was Mm -hmm. formerly the head of service design for the British government Mm -hmm. um when it comes to playful by design how do you want designers who are listening to this or change makers generally Mm -hmm. to to this podcast how do you want them and how do you see them Mm -hmm. using the toolkit Mm
1: -hmm. in
0: their in their practice
1: Perhaps I'd say well um we we i hope that they'd use the toolkit to expand their um initial sort of understanding mm. of rights that tends to be or could be restricted to um the safety and the protection agenda of rights oh, and then expand it to um more not goal oriented but um, agency-oriented, whereby they think about they themselves with the role to provide for the opportunities for kids to explore, to grow, to develop, to express themselves within the safe boundaries um, as as, as supporters for kids to participate and engage actively in the world. So I'll give you an example of one of these cards. And um, here is the what-if. Prompt cards, um, it, it's, it's, it's geared at sort of engaging a particular way of thinking that expands that thinking of, and it says, what if a child could rebuild the environment with friends? So this connects to that imaginative aspect hmm. um, that we want to promote in, in Playful by Design as well. So this is a cool
2: and, and for- we, we the And we wanted the, the cards themselves to be playful. I mean, we have yes. designed them that the designer, we don't want them to be boring and dull, but they are full of like wacky ideas and mind-expanding suggestions for the yes. designers. And so we have designed some games for the designers, which we call the kind of playboards, so they can yeah. play together. But also they could some designers have told us they just keep the pack by them on their on their desk. And every now and again they flip through and something says, What if, you know, you were gonna design um a world, an environment, I don't know, what if you're going to design a world where children could play with their grandparents? How would you, you know, what would that look like? How would you do that? How would you make it safe? How would you make it, you know, fun? How would you deal with multiple, um, you know, groups at the same time? So it's full of what ifs, it's full of how can you do it? Prompts, yeah. But it keeps in mind what the goals um, are, which is to make it a better. Yeah,
0: it's that whole divergence piece of uh identifying new ways of incorporating the mindset yeah
1: Yeah. and the Uh, way we design the different processes and mm. the way to cut the cards if you like we appeal to designers processes a way of thinking which is convergence and divergence and then convergence again so there'd be a moment of reflection deep thinking Mm. in terms of oh okay well i've I've chosen to um put this feature in does that work Mm. why did i put this in yeah. That sort of thing. And then if your answer to that question doesn't quite complete, then you might ask yourself, okay, maybe I need to expand my thinking a bit. Sure. Let's call out a what-if card and then narrow it down to, okay, well, how do I, how, you know, do I really affect this, yeah. Put, make, create this experience for the child?
0: Yeah. If you imagine playful by design was adopted by every change maker in the world right and i hope it is i do even listen and i encourage you to click on the link in the show notes and check it out and support the work um imagine everyone was using it what's the hope that you would like to see trickle through in five ten years time from the work that you've done what does that look like in terms of the, the benefit to the development of the technological world
2: Children will It'll be, be, um, be yeah. happier and more productive and more generative online and parents will have stopped panicking about what they, what's going to happen to them in digital spaces. So children will be, because they already think it's their space, but they don't feel welcome. And With the children well don't feel welcome. Them. Online. No, they think they're always being told you shouldn't be here. You're too young. You've lied about your age. Um, um, mm-hmm. there are weird strangers here who, who, you know, have ill intent. Um, so they don't always feel welcome, no. So they would feel welcome and they would feel empowered and they would feel that they can they can do what they want to do. But I think also um, the design world will have to change. And I don't think... Um, people often think you can either serve children or you can make a profit. I think we will have um, a generative process by which um, companies discover they can make profits in different mm. ways. They can make profits by better serving children rather than by exploiting children. And that's, that's the kind of big business mm. change that I think has to happen because everyone knows the business model is a problem and actually yeah. it's exploiting everybody. So this is one way of trying to encourage everyone to think of it differently.
0: Are there government policies that need to change there to allow designers to kind of not disrupt, but abrupt the, uh, that age group? So at the moment, the reason why businesses aren't going there is there's this mm. regulation, isn't mm. that correct?
2: Um. Well, yes. regulation can be can take people in multiple directions. There could mm. be so. There's a lot of regulation under discussion, um, in Europe that um, and now being developed that could um ease this task so i could say um against monopolies might be a starting point so that it isn't just the big companies that dominate the landscape and there's Mm -hmm. more chance for independence and creatives and startups um but also i think once it's clear that you have to regulate for safety Mm -hmm. um then i think a lot of places will become better for children and then what we need is a Uh, a diversified market so that parents and children can begin to make choices that actually serve their interests. And some of the kind of regulation against addiction, I mean, like against loot boxes, against gambling-like processes, some of the data protection regulation is really helpful just to make sure that you don't enter a game world and have all your data kind of sucked up and um, used against you. You know, There's lots of different kinds of regulation that are coming Mm. together. We've brought them all together in our work in the idea of child rights by design, which says think about the whole thing, imagination, play, safety, privacy, security, everything, it all mm-hmm. matters online. Um, and there's lots of different kinds of regulation that frames that, but is changing. And it's got to be, it's got to be complied with, it's got to be made, you know, real. Yeah, absolutely. I'd say
1: the one thing that the regulations that Sonia have- Spoken about doesn't quite cut it or capture it well enough is the regulation that motivates
2: uh, the business models or design mm, design mm.
1: practices that encourage agency support mm. development promote well being. It's more of a um, protection agenda and prevention yeah. agenda.
2: Mm,
1: mm, mm. It it takes more than just the regulation to motivate or for to motivate business to see the value in um in providing opportunities for agency for creativity for imagination and expression mm. Mm.
0: do you uh, and i again, i know i'm asking some binary questions here but do you have suggestions on um who's doing it well out there like so uh, for people to follow on and learn more about Uh, playful by design but like if there are parents out there and they want to uh, encourage I know we mentioned Minecraft and um, Mm. that other Mm -hmm. one I can't remember Mm -hmm. Um, what other apps and games that you feel are open-ended in their approach and they've Mm -hmm. utilized the same sort of mind set that you include in in playful by Mm -hmm. design are you okay Mm -hmm. to give a shout out to any of those other businesses where people can continue their learning
2: well, I might um mention um uh Sonia recent our code at UK. Yeah <laughs> no. I don't I have no business interest I'll at all. You. I um uh part of our work was done in um in um with uh, support from Lego. And I think oh, yeah, Lego I must... has um tried pretty hard in this regard. Um yeah. one of our commissioners um, was from the BBC and I think children's BBC and I would say public service broadcasters. Yeah. One of the interesting um, relationships that we've formed, I might give a plug to, is um, Andy Robertson's Taming yes, Gaming. I was going to play that, yeah. I don't know if you know that, but he's like he he kind of curates a, a parent space on for games, all games, and okay. then he's taken our playful by design criteria and he said, okay, on these criteria, these are the games that you might like. These ones okay, kind of match also. up well. So Taming Gaming is a kind of a, and it's and it's very parent friendly.
0: Okay, I'll find a link for that and I'll put it in Mm. the show notes as Mm. well. Mm. I've got a deep connection with Playmobil um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and the Playmobil Pro kits. Mm -hmm. Um, They don't have any uh, digital games yet that I know.
2: Okay. Or
0: physical games. So are there other um, games that are kind of integrated? Because I'm really interested in the the artificial reality kind of space at the moment. We've got some stuff with Nintendo. Mm-hmm. Have you any of those recommendations? It's okay if you don't. I'm putting you on the spot here.
2: Okay, do you want to say something about the value of hybrid games? Kids love hybrid yeah. games and, you know, we thought a lot about Pokemon Go, which was not a good example, but okay. points to something that children do because it was so commercialized. And But yeah, but it, on the other hand, it pointed to what children want and where there is, I think, a space for um development. Yeah.
1: So one in one of our um, consultation sessions, a parent uh, mentioned an application that allows you to scan a plant or mm-hmm. a butterfly mm-hmm. or something, um, and then it gives you that information, yeah. so we take it as an example of um, a product, not necessarily built for children, but could be harnessed in this hybrid way, yeah. so you have that um, intersection, if you like, between the digital and the physical. And, yeah. it, and it also takes kids out and about in the physical world not, rather than locking them into the screen really? and so on. And it, it it encourages and fosters that relationship building between ki- parents and child. And the parents yeah. enjoyed it. That's the children awesome. enjoyed it.
0: That's a really good example. Another one, I don't know if you've experienced the um the Mario cars. Uh, artificial reality where you build your own track in your house, oh. Oh. and you use your Nintendo Switch and the the little mm-hmm. car that you buy is a physical car. It's got a camera in the front, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so the child explores the creativity of building a track, and mm-hmm. then you know they create all these obstacles to navigate, and you literally use your controller to move around your own house with the car. Okay, and my six-year-old and four-year-old their minds were blown which i don't know is a is a good thing but um they had so much fun building a track and what they could use so I from love the way- the,
2: yeah so i love the sound of that and what i would say from the point of playful by design is then we would have um the questions for the designer but also for you so um do they get addicted to it or do they feel they can stop when they want to um yes. does it take their data or does it respect their Privacy. Can yeah. they chat to other people in with other cars on the road? And is there a kind of a safety no. question? Um, so you know, those might be so playful yeah. by design always has this kind of list, like a bit of a checklist, framework. yeah, and
0: a framework. How do find out, Sonia, what data has been tracked by something like Nintendo Switch or similar consoles?
2: Well, they every company. I think every company does have a privacy policy, but a privacy policy online can be a lot of pages. I've trawled through mm-hmm. many. They're meant to be readable by the user, and if the user is six, it's meant to be readable by your six-year-old. Wow, I doesn't meet that. that doesn't meet that criterion. But that's what I mean by you know we have some regulations, but they've got to be complied with but very often you read it and it says we're going to protect your data we treat your data with responsibly and then it says and we share it with third parties and we won't tell you who they are
0: and they won't Um, tell you no with gdpr then like i'm in ireland so like yeah that's that's a huge gray area and it's
2: it's a huge gray area and i think until the regulators really think this is a problem and parents really care about this stuff I don't think they're going to prioritize it over some of the, you know, the big data breaches or data leaks because they've got limited. So I think if parents care about where their kid's data is going, they should make their voices heard.
0: Who do they make their voices heard to?
2: To the um, uh, data protection um, authority, to the, um, uh, the Irish ICO in, in your case, information commissioner. Okay. There is a data protection authority in every country. Yeah. Um, it's hard. I know these yeah. the parents are not used to writing to regularly Say, "Hey, I don't understand. You know where my kid's
1: data is going on Nintendo, whatever it That's
2: is." Rich, yeah. Yeah. Look, I could answer. the answers.
1: way around that would be by consumer choices. So mm. there are, you know, if you you don't need to read too much into the privacy policy, you could just look mm-hmm. into the the setting.
2: Does it okay. allow
1: you to set Say no, no, no external connection or something along that line. Does they okay. offer that control? Okay, it's not balance that against the kind of risk you foresee in the way it could be used. Yeah. And I underline the ways it could be used rather than just the way you intended it to be used. <laughs>
0: sure, I. That's a really good point. Like they don't make it easy to find those things. They so don't like, make it easy. No. It's either within the console or within yeah. the browser and if you're using online or within the application, and there's two different settings and which one is overriding which. and that's part of I guess safety by design as well. Like, you know in taking...
2: Ireland and a number of other countries, there's also a children's commissioner. I think the children's commissioners yes. um are quite kind of public available no. um, parents yeah, Ireland like
0: has been very good. Yeah. I lived in Australia yeah. for a very, very long time yeah. I'm home five years. and we do have conversations about these things on the news. Yeah. Yes. So um, it is, uh, th- th- I think they're they're talking about it an awful lot more. Yeah. Um, I was about to say a few minutes ago, I could talk to you, both of you, for probably a week, I'd say, before <laughs> I, I could come up for air. Um, but if people want to reach out to either of you, um, I'll mm-hmm. put a link to Playful by Design uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in the show notes of this episode. Mm-hmm. Um, how might they get in touch with you if they wanted to ask more questions?
2: Uh, so all the work we've been talking about is done by the Digital Futures Commission. Um, mm-hmm. And so Google Digital Futures Commission, we have a contact point and we can put that in the show notes as well. But okay. we're very, we, we, we do answer the, the contact yeah, you do. we respond. You yes. back to me very exactly. quickly. That's how we met you.
0: Yeah, yeah, you got back yes. to me very quickly. Yes, which so is great. We, um, right.
2: we are responsive and um, we're really keen to hear what people's thoughts are. Yeah.
0: But look, I always end every episode with, this is ACD, by thanking you for your time and your energy and your vulnerability being put on the spot and having mm-hmm. these open and free flowing conversations. So listen, thank you for giving me your time. I, I truly appreciate it. I know our listeners will really enjoy this conversation as well. Listen, best of luck with everything to do with playful by design. Um, I'm delighted to, to kind of get my hands on these cards. Hopefully yes, yeah, and, uh, yes explore absolutely. it and play with it. And yeah. I encourage everyone listening to do the same. So listen, thank you so much and welcome thank back on the show so whenever much. you want again.
2: Right, brilliant. Thank Thanks a lot. That was Thanks fun. a lot.